My guest today is running for election to the U.S. House to represent Texas's second congressional district and is running for the Libertarian Party. Please welcome Elliot Sherman. Elliot, how's it going? Hey, good morning. Happy to be here. All right, good, good. Hey, thanks for coming on to the podcast, Elliot. I appreciate it. Sure. I, whenever you reached out to me, it sounded like a really interesting topic. So ha- happy to contribute. Oh, great, great. All right, so let's jump right into it. What do you do? <laughs> uh, well, I do have a full-time job, but what you're probably most interested in is, as you can tell over my shoulder there, I'm running for United States Congress here in the Houston, Texas area. Great. And now, how did this happen? When did you get into politics or want to get into politics? As you said, you have a full-time job. So when did this all happen? Was this as a kid or was it much later when you feel that you had to do more and do something for others? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I wasn't really politically interested in anything kind of throughout college. And then once once I was out in the workforce in my first job, that's what people talk about in the break room. And I had a coworker who was asking me, and this is back in 2008, who I was thinking of for the upcoming presidential election. And by that time, I was already kind of tired of all of the wars that seem to keep going on with the Republicans. And I know I didn't really like a lot of the overspending and higher taxes of the Democrats. So I just kind of felt like I didn't really have a political home. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you kind of sound like a libertarian. And I'd never heard that word before. <laughs> by the way, I'm running as a third party candidate, if you can't tell. <laughs> um, and I did a little research and I was like, wow, that's nail on the head. That's what I am. Mm-hmm. So I, I got involved kind of locally at the, here in, in the Harris County, Texas area and got a little more involved at the state level and then got a little more involved at the national level. And I was like, okay, this is this is something I really care about. I'm passionate about. And one of the state candidate coordinators here in Texas reached out to me. His name's Ted Brown. He is also a congressional candidate in the Austin area. He reached out to me and said, hey, why don't you run in this race? No one's submitted yet by the deadline. And it was maybe a week out from the deadline. So I had a little time to mull it over. And I said, you know what? Yeah, if nothing else, I'll give people just an option, a better option on their ballot. And here in Texas, you have to file with the Secretary of State to get that notarized form and submitted all official-like. Yep. And once I turned that in, I felt this overwhelming responsibility to actually run a real campaign. So since that deadline date in uh, December of last year, it's been almost a year. I've just been running hard. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, there's <laughs> there's been a, a steep learning curve pretty much initially, but I feel like there's a lot that just a regular citizen can actually do. And that's kind of the position I've been taking in this process. Okay, great. I have a couple questions from that. So one, you said you did a little research on the Libertarian Party and you realized that this is for you. What are the type of things that you learned about it that that you realized that, yes, this is my home? Well, uh, as I said, I didn't even know it existed mm-hmm. <laughs> when my friend described to me as one. So I, I had to kind of figure out what that meant. But uh, essentially, uh, realizing that a lot of times, even though there are good intentions behind them, a lot of government programs do a lot more harm than good. And there are unintended consequences sometimes that make even worse problems. You know, for example, let's look at the healthcare. That's a really big issue that affects a lot of people and is on their minds all the time. With the way the government has structured our system here in the United States, you can't buy cheaper medicine from overseas. You can't even buy insurance across state lines. And whenever, this is just a basic rule of economics, whenever you subsidize something, that thing becomes more expensive. So anyone who's not a benefit of government subsidies is facing much higher costs because producers of any goods and services raise their prices to meet the subsidy level of increased demand. 
So sorry to get a little technical right off the bat. No, there, no, it's good. Just seeing the way that good intentions can turn out hurting people, it just makes you want to say, okay, well, how can we do this better? What's a better way to solve this problem in a way that helps people in outcome and intention? Okay, great. No, thanks for that. And then you mentioned getting involved on a local level and a state level earlier. Can you talk about that process? Like just from the get-go, you you figured that you want to get involved. What exactly did you do? What are the first steps that you had to do? And you talked about the steep learning curve now, but are there people out there helping you or are you just doing this on your own, doing your research to try and figure out the steps to take? Well, to your first question, the first thing I did was I was fortunate enough to live in a, a camp that was already affiliated and had a structure with a chair and, and meetings and stuff like that. So I just, I looked into it and found out that they had a monthly meeting that was maybe 15 minutes away from where I live. So I just showed up one day and introduced myself and kind of met some other people and started going to those. I found that there were some people who were just kind of there to show up and never be seen again. And there were some people there who'd show up and say, hey, there's a march coming up for this cause. Does anybody want to come and make some signs with me? Or we're raising money for this. This guy got jailed on some bogus charges and we want to try to help bring attention to this and make it right. And the people who were like doing stuff and I just kind of going through the motions were the ones that really got my attention and me coming around. So that was with the uh, local stuff. And honestly, the election cycle is what kind of drew me in further up because the way the Libertarian Party works is not like the Democrats and Republicans. During election years, they have primary elections, which I'm sure you're familiar with, usually February or March before uh, November election, where they actually shrink their big field of candidates down to one candidate per race per party. And as a result of that, they have candidates going into the general election. The Libertarians, just by way of being a third party, the state of Texas has rules that says we have to meet in convention, so in-person convention, in order to select our candidates. And they have to be done a week or so after the primaries. And also anyone who voted in the primaries can't participate in these conventions. So there's kind of a whole host of roadblocks that are in the way for us to even be able to select our people internally. Right. But as being involved in the local party level, I kind of learned those rules and I said, okay, well, I want to help pick the best libertarian candidates for the general election. So I'll forgo the primaries and I'll attend the convention. And then once you attend that convention, I noticed that they had a little, an option to be a delegate, which is who a convention voter person is, as a delegate. They mentioned that, oh, well, we're going to select delegates for the state convention for higher offices. And I was like, well, well, okay, let's see where this goes. I want to meet some more people from across the state. So I went ahead and did that too. And, you know, just kind of jumped in. And that's how I got involved in the state party. And I'm so glad I did. I've, I've met some amazing friends uh, from across Texas here as a result of that. And it really helps you realize that it's not just a handful of people sitting in a conference room. It's people all across. They share similar frustrations as you and want things to be better in a way that as I said earlier, helps people along. Right. And I'm sorry, you asked the second question there. I got really deep into that one. And the second question was on what you're doing now, your campaign now. and just Oh, the learning curve. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and the stuff uh, you took. Well, so the party does offer kind of like a, a first-time campaigner intro guide. Oh. And it's a packet of a lot of useful information. Unfortunately, it says things like contact your local media. Okay, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> so finding and developing contacts, Twitter's been a really good tool for just like, hey, who, let me let me type in the name of my local newspaper or local broadcast stations and just see whose names pop up in that and start giving them a follow. And the kind of thing where they might not follow you back immediately because you're in a name, but if you publish content on your social media and you tag them on stuff like that, they'll eventually see you and take notice and, and understand. And I think the turning point for me in that regard was Back in August, we hosted the nation's largest ever convoy protest to allow our presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen, be included in the presidential debates. Clearly, we see how well that turned out. But at the time, we were hosting an, in every single state car convoys with cars decorated and, and people using megaphones just kind of driving through the cities they live in. 
because you know it's COVID. How how do you do a protest and when you can't be near people? So we right. came up with the caravan idea. And one of the local newspaper reached out to me and said, "Hey, I saw something about this on social. I want to know more about it. What's going on here?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm actually getting <laughs> I'm the media is reaching out and wants to know about me and what we're up to." So that kind of thing is one area. Another thing that no one tells you about is that when you raise enough money as a federal candidate and as a state candidate, you have to file with either the federal election committee or the Texas election committee mm. here, you know, specifically in Texas. And let me tell you, that is not a fun process. Oh. So uh, you have to do quarterly filings with uh, the federal government. And then I found out this last week, you have to do another one 12 days out from the election, even though you just had to do one. So I had one due on October 15th and another one due on the 22nd. Wow. <laughs> they just really like to make sure that you are good at accounting if you're going to make Nice. Wow. So, so some prizes there for you. Now, you mentioned, put out an example there, someone being jailed on bogus charges. Mm-hmm. I know this is something that's important to you. So can you talk about your criminal justice reform? Absolutely. Well, I'll start off by giving an example of what that was. This was six or seven years ago at this point. There was a young man who was arrested with some pot brownies, essentially. And the, the way Texas law works is he was charged for the entire weight of all of the brownies as if they were all drugs, basically. Mm. Like if he had an ounce of marijuana or whatever, the entire weight of the chocolate and the egg and the flour and all of the sugar was treated basically as if they were all fully potent drugs. And he got in way over his head on these serious felony charges. And the way that law works is just totally wrong. Mm -hmm. We raised money and rallied to, to get him released on the grounds that that was not a realistic way to charge him. Now, in terms of criminal justice reform, that is one example, but uh, essentially what the libertarian idea is, is it boils down to not policing against victimless activities. Mm -hmm. So that includes drug use. You know, if you're a peaceful drug user, you're fine. If you're hurting people, that's not fine because you're creating a victim. The same can extend into gambling. You know, if, if you, if you have it under control and you're not stealing from people, you're not breaking any kneecaps or anything like that. <laughs> Just like, as long as you're not hurting people, you should be able to do whatever you want. And the fact that we have a criminal justice system, that's focused around charging people with crimes that might be, or might lead to, or might this and that, that's a, a serious problem. And you have a lot of people who have their lives forever ruined by one arrest. Yep. And that means they can never get the kind of good job that would help them be on a, a successful trajectory for the rest of their lives because of one arrest. And we want to change that so that we understand that, you know, people aren't just disposable. People can come back from a mistake. They can make themselves better once they learn a lesson. And our criminal justice system isn't based on rehabilitation. It's based on punishment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a really important kind of philosophical distinction that we have. We, if someone hurts others, of course, they deserve to be imprisoned or, or punished however they are. But the focus needs to be making restitution for their victims and rehabilitating themselves so that they have non-criminal options once they do get out of prison. Yeah. Okay. And then you're also for ending qualified immunity. That's correct. Correct. Okay. Um, you know, that's a topic that's been extremely uh, hot this year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, particularly with the, with the protests and resulting riots and, and unrest after the George Floyd killing mm-hmm. one among several there's some other protesting going on after the Brianna Taylor killers were not charged with killing her. Yeah. And essentially it's whenever police officers or any government employees commit crimes that if you had done as a private citizen, you would actually absolutely have the book thrown at you. We just want people to be held accountable regardless of whether or not they are government employees or you know have a, a badge and gun on their hip. And it's really about accountability 
and breaking the kind of wall of silence that happens, you know, when, if, if there's a cop that does something bad, and again, I'm not saying cops are, are bad. I'm, I'm not saying that it's an inherently unjust profession, but there are some police officers who abuse that power and hurt people and get away with it. And a lot of the times they they get a two week paid vacation while while the department looks into them and finds out that they didn't do anything wrong. And then they're back on the street. Or in some cases, if it was pretty bad, they might go to a different town down the road and, and become a police officer there instead where they can just kind of start over. And what any qualified immunity would do is it would hold bad cops accountable and it would make it uh, it would make it really difficult for them to continue being a cop if they have abused power like that. And I feel like the protests and everything would end overnight. If, if the government took this issue seriously and listened to the people and said, we hear this injustice and we want to make it right. And we are no longer going to provide cover for people who harm citizens. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about the police unions, though? That seems like a whole nother bag. Right it, it, there. Sure, it, it sure is. So this is one thing that most people don't understand about libertarians is we are completely pro-union. We believe in the, the First Amendment protects your rights to, to peaceably assemble, to work with others in whichever way you want, as long as it's voluntarily. But our line in sand comes when it comes to public sector unions. So this could be police, teachers, whatever. We're not against those professions again, but we are against the conflict of interest of having management and, and the workforce. They have seats at the negotiating table, but the people paying the bills don't. The taxpayers don't get a seat at that negotiating table. So it's really a conflict of interest when you have these public sector unions that campaign hard to try to get favorable people into office that they can turn around and have easy negotiations with. So in my opinion, that's something that kind of crosses an ethical line. So yeah, of course, they're always going to be pushing for their own self-interests as any, as any union would, because you want your employees to have benefits and to be covered. But what you want to do is not allow them to do so in a way that removes accountability. Right. Right. Okay. All right. And then you introduced a ballot drop-off proposal, correct? I did. So this was back in May. I had the foresight to say, uh, this is probably going to be kind of a crazy election this year. <laughs> uh, not to mention that. This was the first presidential election cycle that Texas had removed straight ticket voting options. Right. So it used to be you could go up and say, I'm a Democrat and click the D button and then you're done voting for the day and you go on your go on your way. What that did, however, was any kind of races down ballot where there was not a Democrat in that race or a Republican, you know, for argument's sake, you simply didn't vote in that race. Mm. And being as a Libertarian Party candidate, Sometimes we choose really tactically races where there's not uh, two, two old parties going up against each other, where there might be an entrenched incumbent that they just think it's not worth the money to go after. But we realize there's an opportunity to get some serious traction uh, as a party in those kind of races. So whenever people just uh, in the past did straight party voting, it went way faster for them, but we were totally overlooked. What having to select a vote in each uh, race does is it makes the voting process take longer. Now, when you add in the COVID precautions of going in and, and sterilizing the voting booths between each use and dispensing, I don't know if you've seen it here in Texas, but they give us little finger condoms yep. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, you know, to touch the little rotary dials. It's, it's, very, it's very funny. And all of that adds to the amount of time. And when you have longer time, you have longer lines. And when you have lines where people have to stand six feet apart, they look prohibitively long. It can lead to people worrying about whether or not they are even going to have time to vote. So this all boils down to my solution of, hey, why don't we allow all of the grocery stores across the state, which already are equipped to allow people to their auto registrations so they can pull up the state databases right there in every grocery store customer service desk. 
allow people to go up and show their voter ID and get their own custom ballot personalized and printed from the grocery store. The time frame for this would have been a month out from early voting. So voters would have had time to research. Uh, I'm saying this in past tense because it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. They'd have had time to research all the candidates, figure out which ones they wanted to do, fill it out, and then just drive up, show their voter ID again so that there's no concern about voter fraud, and then drop off their ballot and have it counted. Now, here in Texas, some counties have allowed drop-offs for mail-in ballots, which is a little bit like what I described. But I actually called every single Texas state senator and Texas state representative in the state and told them about this idea, gave them the proposal. Three of them were interested. And then I said, well, in order to make this happen, you know, we're going to need an emergency legislative session. And they said, oh, okay, maybe for next time. Hmm. <laughs> so it's like, this is, if COVID's not an emergency, what is in terms of uh, making sure that everyone can be well represented in voting? So I called everyone, three people cared <laughs> out of over a hundred and it kind of fizzled. But as we got closer and closer to early voting starting, people started, the Republicans and Democrats started fighting over whether or not mail-in ballots were going to be voter fraud ridden or whether people were going to have their right to vote suppressed by limiting the amount of places you could drop off ballots. So it's been, yeah. it's been an ugly tug of war then. And this solution was nonpartisan. It should have been balanced in a way that voter fraud concerns were dealt with and, and the integrity of the process was in place and also maximized the amount of people who could participate. Yeah, it just seems like a very common sense solution. And it looks like we've went the opposite way. We're taking away drop off ballots everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, the mentality of us versus them and the Republicans versus Democrats, it, it just makes them not want to solve problems so they yeah. can keep having an issue to talk about and rally up their base. So that kind of approach to governance is really selfish, in my opinion. And it's, it's rooted in wanting to remain in power more so than solving problems. Yeah, I agree. Now, you grew up in Houston, went to Westbury High School. Uh, Correct. So what changes have you seen in Westbury and in Houston Metro in, in general? Well, one thing that <laughs> one drastic and superficial change uh, was that they got rid of the old logo that had offensive connotations. So mm. they went from being the rebels to the Huskies and kind of got rid of the old Civil War imagery that they used to have for their, oh. their mascot. But from another standpoint, no, seriously, uh, when I was at Westbury High School here in, in Southwest Houston in HISD, it was known as the dropout factory uh, nationwide. This was a, a school that had huge problems. I, I think it was something like a 35% graduation rate at, wow. at one point. And that was just crazy to me. You know, we'd, we'd have freshman classes of over a thousand and graduating classes of maybe 350 or something like that. Whoa. And that's a system that's not working for people. And this is kind of helped shape my concerns about this is when you have government that is offering answers to things and those answers, they might be well-intentioned, but when the result is that kind of failure, that means that the system's just not working for a lot of people. And my heart kind of goes out to that because, you know, if, if you don't even get a high school degree nowadays, it's going to be really hard to find meaningful employment that you can actually build up off of and be in a more prosperous situation. And I'm not a big fan of limiting people's opportunities. I want people to have as much opportunity as they can pursue. So that, that was kind of like my first eye-opening experience into this, this concept of, you know, the system doesn't work for a lot of people. I believe now HISD has had some reforms and uh, Westbury is a lot better performing schools, you know, as, as a result of that nationwide exposure. But man, that was certainly a wild time to be there. Yeah. Wow. Now, now talking about the district you're running for right now, what are some things about the incumbent that you are not a fan of or some of the policies or some of the stances that you're not a fan of? Yeah, that's a really good question. So Dan Crenshaw is the guy who is 
currently occupying that seat. Most of you know him as the eye-patched congressman. He was a very popular Navy SEAL veteran, and he came in and he kind of sounded like he might our side. You know, every once in a while, there are some Republicans who who kind of give libertarians the, the nod and wink and like, hey, you know, I'm doing it this way, but I, I care about what you care about. I'm, you know, constitution, small government, this and that. But then as soon as he got into office, he started <laughs> proving that he was not that kind of legislator. He went on record supporting red flag laws, which was my biggest actual red flag, uh, no, no pun intended there. But uh, so for those of you who don't know what that means, it's essentially the government can just decide that you're a threat and show up and take your guns. You could be a peaceful person sitting at home doing nothing, not, not committing any crimes, not threatening anybody, but not having any charges even pressed against you, but they can just show up and declare you a threat and take your guns. And that's a huge, huge violation of due process and a huge violation of the Second Amendment. And so that's something that I'm like, what the heck? Why, why would anyone who swore an oath to uphold the Constitution side along with this, let alone someone who is a you know, veteran and who should know better? So that, that's what got him on my radar in terms of being worried about. And then he continued to support things like trillions of dollars in overspending, voting in favor of spending bills that, that pushed us further into debt. Uh, he voted in favor of the NSA warrantless spying on American citizens. You know, the list goes on and it's all of these things are really concerning if you pay attention and you care about rights and you don't just watch his, his fancy commercials that have explosions in them. And, <laughs> you know, like I said, I wanted to like him at first and right. he just, by paying attention to the issues, it made it really difficult to continue doing so. Yeah. He's a very good speaker, but the substance just isn't there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like running a campaign? Yeah, it seems yeah. Like. If, if there is such a thing as a typical yeah. day. Um, so, well, I have my full-time job that I have to do. I, I do work from home still due to COVID restrictions. But when I'm not doing that, I have to constantly, I'm wrangling volunteers, uh, you know, getting making sure that the next week and a half or so is the events are all lined up so that I can have people show up and uh, be, be able to help. Um, we've been doing a lot of block walking. I think, like I mentioned before, we, uh, we started recording here today. So all of that requires a lot of planning. You have to map out which, first of all, which neighborhoods you want to hit, make sure that you have ordered all of the proper materials, all of the uh, door hangers and, and yard signs. And you want to make sure that you divvy up the zones so that the, the amount of volunteers that show up cannot overlap on each other's little territories for the day. You want to target different areas so that you get a diverse representation of the district and not just all in the suburbs or not just all here in like the, the inner city. And because this district is a wild shape, it is, it, it doesn't have any consistent uh, demographics. It is just kind of all over the place. And I also am constantly doing content creation for the social media. So any, anytime I want to feature an issue that's on my platform, I, I need to make a, an interesting graphic so that it'll make people click and read and not just scroll past it. I do media outreach I, um, and public relations. So anytime I have something big coming up, I have to, I, I send a press release out to the local media. Lining up interviews uh, like this is, is another thing that's fun to do. <laughs> so just, <laughs> Just uh, really just trying to make time in this uh, in the schedule to get all this done. It's uh, um, I do have a, a lovely fiance who has been incredibly supportive. I would not have been able to do anything to the extent that I have been doing without her help. So I want to give great. a shout out to Liz. <laughs> so thanks for that. Um, and also, I've got some really, really dedicated volunteers. They show up every weekend to help me doing the voter outreach. They I like to thank them by, you know, feeding them, you know, lunch and, <laughs> and, and maybe buying a few drinks. Uh, I've had a really supportive local and state party and national party even. They share and retweet my content so that it gets out to more than my my couple thousand followers so that they get out to their tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of followers. So that really makes a difference. And also just making an honest kind of 
appeal to people who who kind of generally agree with what uh, what I'm talking about, and then trying to help them get to that next step of maybe becoming a volunteer or becoming a donor to the campaign or the party. You know, the more people who sign up and the more dollars that get contributed, that's just the bigger impact we can can make in the community. Wow, two full time jobs basically. You Very much. So. <laughs> now the the media outreach is this you actually going on there and and creating this content, or are you having help um, with that? Um, it it kind of depends. It's it's fifty fifty between me and my fiance in terms of uh, the content oh, okay. creation. I'd say, and it's really funny. Sometimes she's like, "We should focus on this this week," and I'm like, uh, "I don't know. Okay, fine." And then it'll blow up. <laughs> she 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 is a marketer by trade, so she has okay. a really good ability to get a lot of attention on things. So I, I've learned to de- defer to her uh, expertise right. in a lot of ways like that. Smart. Okay. <laughs> now now the block walking and some of these things that you, you're doing is it a little more difficult now with the pandemic? Yeah. So initially my plan was knock on doors and I really kind of rethought that before we got too far into it because people don't want strangers coming up to their house at all right now. Right. Uh, so what we've been doing is we've been distributing masks to volunteers, you know, for the day mm. and just putting door hangers on knobs and handles, you know, wherever they are, it takes uh, less time per house to do that. So you can cover a lot more ground mm. um, and then still engaging with people if they're out walking their dog or pushing a child in a cart if they're out and about, or maybe they're doing yard work, uh, just a polite greeting to keep a respectful distance and just letting them know, Hey, we're running in this district and we are engaging people because we care about what matters to you and, and asking them before telling them what we stand for, like what issues are important to you and your family. Right. And then hearing that and nine times out of 10, what they're saying they care about is something that is aligned with the issues that I have here on my door hanger. I've got happen to have one sitting right here. So I, I don't know if you can see that yep. zoomed in on yours, but you know, we, we've got issues that people care about mm-hmm. these things that that matter to a lot of people and whenever we're doing this we just try to cover as much uh, you know hit, hit as many doors as we can and you know be polite and friendly to people who we interact with and and just let them know that we're here because uh, in many cases a lot of people don't even know there's a libertarian in the race right. uh, and, and that's by design the republicans and democrats absolutely never mentioned me in anything they beat each other over the head over who wore a mask who didn't uh, who lied about this and who didn't and i'm like guys i exist <laughs> Uh, we, we had a, we actually, the Houston Chronicle uh, hosted a debate. I say that with air quotes because it was as they were doing a, a group interview for their endorsement. And, uh, it was a debate. They, they asked us a question. They, they gave us um, two minute answer times that were completely ignored by the other two candidates. <laughs> you know, and me, I'm trying to be respectful. I can't be a jerk if, if it's the instance where most people hear from a libertarian for the first time. So here I am trying to follow the rules and like, politely wait for my turn. I'm like, man, these guys, let me talk. <laughs> um, but one of the candidates actually used footage from the recording I did of that debate, cut me out of it and just made it look like they were bickering back and forth. Wow. And it's so funny that the Democrat uh, in the race did that. Mm. So it's just like, you guys, come on. <laughs> if, if, if anyone is curious and wants to look into that, uh, if you, it's on YouTube. If you just search Houston Chronicle, uh, I believe Congressional District 2 debate, uh, you can yeah. find it. Okay. All right. And now just talking to you, it seems like skill sets that you definitely need are the communication skills, being proactive. I know being honest is something that's important to you, having that perseverance also. What skills and characteristics would you think are, are most important to be successful in what you're doing? Well, um, I'm a project manager by trade, and that has been invaluable. Uh, it's it's allowed me the ability to have a long strategic vision, make achievable steps along the way that, that we can do and focus on. It allows me to keep budget in mind at all times because, you know, 
this is a grassroots effort. So anytime someone contributes, I am treating those dollars preciously and thinking about how I can stretch them for the maximum impact. Yeah. And, you know, project management, that's what you do. You, you want to be on time and under budget in order to have a successful project delivery. Um, I also have the benefit of, uh, you know, being very analytical. Like I have voter data that I've parsed and decided which areas make sense to focus on. I've, I've looked at uh, and just, you know, just using Excel. This is, this is probably not interesting to hear about, but <laughs> it's something that's been, that's been really vital to, you know, making moves in this campaign. And, and also, yeah, it's, I, I'm an extrovert. So that helps a lot when it comes to talking to strangers and, <laughs> and uh, you know, trying to helping understand how to be relatable. Um, a lot of times I'll be critical here of my party. We have a lot of people who really get it on the philosophy side and then don't know how to talk to people. Right. And it, it's really frustrating because they there's, and sometimes they do, they, again, more harm than good. That's a theme that I don't, I don't, I don't like to see. You, you get in fights and, and people just think libertarians are selfish and abrasive. And it's like, no, 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 we're, we're so tired of seeing the government hurt people. We're trying to get you to understand. And it's sometimes it's difficult to, find ways to relate to people who totally don't agree with you at all. But that's something that I have found some success with, uh, surprisingly, in this campaign. I've got, I've got hardcore Republicans and hardcore Democrats who have been volunteers on my campaign because they see that my message is one of actually solving problems. And it's one, and, and there's a lot of people don't realize this, but when you have more freedom to do what you want, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're not hurting others. So a hardcore Republican and a hardcore Democrat could have very different kind of lifestyles and very different priorities that matter to them. But if they both have the freedom to do that and pursue that, again, so long as they're not harming others, then they're happy even though they're living totally different diverse lives. Mm -hmm. So it's another untapped area that most people overlook is in most elections, over 40% of registered voters don't even show up on election day. Yeah. And that's not just people. That's people who have gone through the effort to get registered to vote. They could easily just take five minutes and go vote and they don't. So I'd say the biggest campaign thing that we're trying to overcome is just voter apathy. And the only way to do that is show them, hey, we have something good. And if you hear about it, you'll agree. And so it's it's really just marketing and getting that getting the word out and talking to people that getting outside of your comfort zone uh, in order to do that. So having the good ideas, but also being able to articulate and, and communicate that to, to people. Okay, so exactly. project management skills, analytical skills, communication skills, and basic marketing as well. All right. Now, what do you love about what you do? Well, I, I love that I, I have a clean conscience. <laughs> and as someone uh, who is running for office, I don't, I don't know that a lot of them can say that. Right. I haven't had to compromise myself in any way. I haven't taken money from anyone who, who I, I thought was immoral or... Or it has motives that I disagree with. I am literally just out here trying to help people and trying to make the world better. And that is, that's something that it matters a lot to me. I will be absolutely honest with you. If someone comes up to me and wants to talk about a controversial subject, I'm not going to dance around it. I'll tell them what I think and I'll tell them why I think it and why I think that a, a more free approach to that is going to be better, even if they are a firm believer against that. And um, I, I feel like that garners a lot of respect because it's not, you know, there's no pandering involved. I'm not being dishonest for a quick vote. I want people to understand the why, believe something because that's gonna stick with them. They're gonna, people respect consistent honesty. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what I wanna represent. All right. Now, what about on the flip side? What challenges are out there for you? Challenges and, and obstacles. I know you mentioned the huge two-party system kind of trying to drown you out. But what other challenges do you have? It keeps coming back to that. Mm. Republicans and Democrats do not like competition. Yeah. In fact, uh, 
44 Texas Libertarian candidates this year were sued unsuccessfully, thankfully, by Texas Republicans to kick us off the ballot so that people wouldn't even have the choice to vote for us. Wow. This went up to the Texas Supreme Court, who ruled unanimously against them. And obviously, people are voting for me right now during early voting and will on Election Day as well. But man, like the fact that we have to throw resources and time and concern into this, they did that purely so that we would be distracted from campaigning on the downside and on the upside, they kick us off and people can't even vote for us in the first place. So wait, they sued, the kind of, they sued yeah. to get, wow. Yeah, they did. It was, and the, the, they dropped the lawsuit on the last day oh, that yeah. the libertarian party chair could, could officially remove candidates from the ballot. So they, they wanted us to have scramble, have no time panic and just have to comply. And we didn't. We we hired a really savvy lawyer who helped us out. But again, this this was thousands of dollars that we had to we had to give towards a lawyer in the middle of you know a month a month and a half out from election day. So it was a diversion of resources, and and that's that's right now during the election. On the back end, a lot of uh, state libertarian and and green parties they have to fight just to get ballot access in the first place, whether it's gathering signatures for petitions, meeting some sort of vote threshold or dollars amount raised or each state has their own different rules, but all of these are obstacles that the Democrats and Republicans put in the way of, of other parties that they can just bypass. They are just automatically on the ballot. If someone wants to run as a Democrat, they don't have to worry about whether or not the Democrats will have ballot access in their state. If someone wants to run as a Republican, same story. And this puts us at such an each, each election cycle, we have to spend a lot of political capital just convincing our own people to help donate just so we can even be on the ballot for them to vote for in the first place. And it, it makes no sense, again, conflict of interest. You have the people making the rules have partisan yeah. interests in making sure that other people aren't also their competition. Yeah. And wow, that's that's tough. I, I didn't know all that. That's, that's crazy. You're right. I mean, it's not just the resources and having to worry about something else while you're trying to run for office, but they know you don't have as much funds as they do as well. And so you're having to use funds to, to fight this, to fight these lawsuits. There's, it's not just funds, too. It's also visibility. Yeah. Um, when, when it comes to the presidential debates, I touched earlier on, you know, let her speak, you know, trying to get our, our candidate on. But the campaign on presidential debates, which was formed after Ross Perot was on the debate stage, there hasn't been a third party candidate on a debate stage since Ross Perot. Right. That's an entire generation of people who think that Republicans and Democrats are the only parties out there. Yeah. And the, the selection criteria that they use in order to have candidates on are polls, and they select the polls to use. And when polls don't even mention our candidates' names, they pick those polls. So how can someone even meet their threshold if their name isn't even mentioned? Um, it's it's a, it's well designed to suit them, and it is very frustrating for someone who you know thinks if this is elections in America, this should be upfront, open, and honest, so that the most people get their voices heard. And it's suppressing voter choice at every step of the way. Yeah, sorry to hear about that, but thank you for enlightening me on it. I did not know a lot of this. Okay. Well, you can tell that I believe in this cause if I'm willing to put up with all that. Right. No, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, just to just to help promote what I think is right. Yeah, no, you can definitely see the passion you have for this, and I hope they do get this right. And, and I love a lot of your common sense proposals, and good luck to you going forward. Thank you. All right. So briefly, I didn't talk about what you actually do full-time. So what do you do full-time? You mentioned you're a project manager, but what, what industry and what do you do? Correct. So I'm a project manager with a focus in supply chain management. Mm. Uh, so everything from you know logistics to, uh, to procurement and sourcing of materials and uh, services. Mm. Uh, expediting 
overseeing projects to, you know, delivery to be on time and budget. I work in the oil and gas industry. You know, we focus on not only oil and gas, but also renewables, um, you know, wind and solar and uh, geothermal as well. So it's something that I'm happy to work for. The culture there is very positive and it's very inclusive of neighborhoods and, uh, you know, the, in which they operate, which is uh, something that I think is a distinguisher. Yeah. But um, I I started off my career right out of high school uh, working in a sourcing uh, or a staffing company, rather, um, working in oil and gas, and then did some uh, a couple years in, in tech, uh, you know, with uh, computers and networking and stuff like that, and then found my way back into oil and gas. And it's just, it's what Houston's kind of known for, yeah. you know, we're the energy capital of the United States, and mm-hmm. it's it's a solid industry. It has its ups and downs, and um, people like me help, help um, companies stay more efficient so that the downs don't hurt as bad like it all right yep energy capital energy and uh, healthcare here in houston right all right yeah so do you have any memorable moments in your political career that have that stand out to you certainly uh well yeah. uh, about a week and a half ago now or i guess it was yeah a little over a week ago i got to do an opening speech for our party's vice presidential candidate spike cohen uh he came into the houston area up in conroe and i got to i got to be one, one of the opening speakers for him and that was just an electrifying experience um mm-hmm. There were hundreds of people there, all kind of spread out and socially distanced in an out, outside <laughs> venue. I got to really channel my passion and talk about not only the issues of you know why libertarianism is good, but how other libertarians can help be more effective communicators and help uh, you know help realize that not everyone is going to is going to immediately start saying audit the Fed or even know what that means. So you, you need to start with them on relatable topics, things that matter to them, like their jobs, their healthcare, their security, you know, feeling safe in their homes. And how our solutions actually make those all of those things that they care about better. And it was an electrifying experience. Having a crowd loudly applaud and cheer for you, is, is, it's just a unique experience. And whenever you're talking about something that you know, I find it's a lot easier to speak in front of a crowd. Yes. Like at first I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to, what if I forget my lines or, or forget what I'm talking about or lose my train of thought? And it just, I, I was just in the zone. It was a, it was a really great experience. And me and my fiance got to have a, a, a dinner that evening with the vice presidential candidate and his wife. And it was just nice to have like a human moment with, uh, you know, we're both like his, his campaigns even, you know, dialed, you know, a hundred times up more than mine is uh, <laughs> in terms of the amount of attention and, and, and time and everything that he's putting into it. But just like having like a human moment was really good as, as a way to kind of cap off that, that day and experience. And I've been in dozens of neighborhoods that make up this district. I've talked to thousands and thousands of people. I've done the work and I wish every libertarian candidate could put in this level of effort. I I feel like we would be winning elections left and right. And I will definitely run again in another race or this race again, depending on what makes sense at the time. But right now I am, I'm just like looking forward to election night and seeing, seeing the impact that all of this hard work made and knowing that people are tired of the the same old junk from the left and the right and they are receptive to something better yeah that's great that's great and and that speech you did was that recorded i'm still tracking down the record okay for that yeah. the uh the vice presidential candidates spike cohen his media guy recorded it and i've been okay. bugging him on but they're still doing events every day so yeah. he his uh his turnaround is it's, it's hard to get his attention but i'm still trying to track that down i will absolutely share it once uh definitely once, once i get my hands on it yeah good great okay good all right. Well, hey, Elliot, we're at the end of this interview. Okay. I want to get to a, this quick hitter session where I just ask you some questions for fun for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, though, is there anything additional that you would like to discuss or anything you feel like I might have left off asking you? Um, well, I don't know. I, I just I would I would ask people who maybe have a preconceived notion of what libertarians are. Just take a look at what we're actually talking about. 
read our platform. A lot of people think like, I I hear this all the time, libertarians are selfish. And it's like, no, (laughs) we are the only party who respects you as a person and wants to step up and voluntarily help without the government force being behind that. And it's such a different dynamic that most people don't appreciate. I I would ask anyone who's who's watching this, just, just give it a read. Look up your local party's platform and see what we stand for. We've been for marriage equality since 1971. Democrats didn't come around that, to that until about 10 years ago. Uh, we've been for ending the failed war on drugs since 1971. Again, there's a theme here. And that's, you know, marijuana legalization has started rolling out state by state in the, the recent years, but we're still, it's still illegal federally. We want to end the wars. Um, the Democrats used to be very loudly anti-war, but that voice has largely been been silenced on their side lately. And there are soldiers right now fighting in the Middle East who were born after this war started. And that's crazy. That is that is a generation of war that it's 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 such a suck on our resources. It's it's a waste of American lives and not to mention the lives of the, you know, the innocent people who were caught in the crossfire. And it's 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 something that we really care about. Um, we, we care about humane immigration, like the fact that, you know, Obama, the Obama administration built these cages and the Trump administration is putting children in them. Like that's that's not the way to treat people. These like if you're moving for work, that's that shouldn't be a crime. You should be able to follow the American dream and provide for your family. Again, if you're harming people, that's another story and that should be stopped. But if you're not harming people, that shouldn't like we should just get away with do away with laws that hurt against that. I will uh, cap this by giving my, my uh, contact information if you want to follow me. Um, you can see over my shoulder there. Uh, my last name is very hard to spell, but it's easy to pronounce. It's just Sherman. And that's uh, shermanforcongress.com, S-C-H-E-I-R-M-A-N. And you can follow me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Sherman for Congress. And I'm on Twitter at Vote Sherman. All right, great. <laughs> Thank you, Elliot. And so let's get to these quick hitter sessions. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite sports team? Uh, that's going to be the University of Houston Cougars. Okay. Cougs, all right. Go Cougs. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite movie or show? Ah, oh, that's a really good one. Um, I I, I got to go with uh, with probably Firefly and uh, Serenity as a follow up movie to it. Uh, mm. If you haven't seen that, it was a 2002 I think uh, show that had one season on Fox. It's basically like a sci fi western, and really? there's a very strong theme of being against a controlling government that really resonated <laughs> with me for some reason. <laughs> all right, I'll check it out. Serenity. Uh, Serenity's the movie that was a follow-up, but the series is called Firefly. Oh, Firefly. Okay, got it. Okay. All right. Favorite musical artist or group? Oh, man, that's tough. That always changes. It's a toss-up right now between Tycho, T-Y-C-H-O. It's kind of a, like ambient electronic alternative. And I really like a band called The War on Drugs, even though I dislike The War on Drugs <laughs> as, as a political concept. Um, I don't know. It's just like, kind of indie, indie rock is how I would describe that. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? Oh, man. Um, I discovered this uh, about a year and a half ago. I am in love with Belize. Mm. It's, uh, it's a country just a little bit south of Mexico on the, mm. um, on the uh, Caribbean side. And I, I learned how to scuba dive just after going there once and snorkeling. And I went back <laughs> uh, the ne- like later uh, the next year and got to do scuba diving there. And it's nice. I had an amazing time. If, if you had the opportunity to learn how to dive, do it. It is amazing. And the official language there is uh, English, right? Yeah, it is. Um, they, they, the official language is English, but they speak kind of like a, it's, it's almost like a Creole mix of, of Spanish and English and French. It's, okay. it's interesting, huh. uh, but like it, you can tell, like when the, the natives don't want the tourists to know what they're talking about, they'll switch into that. <laughs> and last, uh, favorite food or drink? 
I got to go with tacos all the way. I could eat tacos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my Houstonian in me there. And uh, drink if we're going uh, alcohol, I I enjoy an old fashioned uh, uh, bullet bourbon. My favorite, too. All right. Well, hey, Elliot, this has been great. I I really love your passion for what you do, the hard work that you're putting in there. Just good luck to you going forward. I, I know this will all pay off. Thanks for coming on to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it too. Make sure to send me the links and stuff and I'll, uh, I'll share it through my stuff. Will do. And once again, it's shermanforcongress.com. And right. can you talk about the other? Yes. Uh, uh, I also have a facebook.com uh, slash shermanforcongress. Same extension for Instagram, which I didn't mention earlier. And then also Twitter is at vote Sherman. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. I really appreciate you having me on this morning. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions, would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.